Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your host, Kyle Morris, and welcome back to Coda Smith. Hey. This is episode 47, and we are continuing our study in the book of Mark. Uh, welcome back, man. Yeah, man, I had to take a seat on the bench for a little bit. Caleb came in, played back up back up in my spot, and uh, I almost lost my job. Yeah, yeah, I, almost, I almost fired you. Yeah, yeah. dude, <laughs> I mean... Gosh, it would have been so heartbreaking. So kudos to Caleb. Yeah. And, and that flows yeah. off the tongue real well too. Kudos to Caleb. Thank you, Caleb, for jumping in. The cool part is we've had Caleb on the last two episodes. Yeah. And the, we're recording this. Um, and the, so yesterday, um, I won't tell you which day, but yesterday, uh, Caleb's daughter was born. Yeah. Uh, and God. both mother and daughter are healthy and they're heading home today. Mm -hmm. And so just to give you guys an update, we mentioned in the last episode. So Caleb is now a father. So he gets to join our ranks and he's he's already said, you know, he's in love with his daughter and just an amazing time in, in their life. And if you've had a child, uh, you know, what we're talking about. So, uh, so yeah, congrats to him and his wife, Julia, and it's just a exciting time for them. So you know, that means he can be on the podcast every week now. That was kind of the prerequisite is, you know, you get a kid and then you... So now I can really fire you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I mean, what was, that's a good launching pad for conversation. What was that like for you when Conrad was first born? You know, the memories that you always hold on to, there's like a handful oh, yeah. of that, those mental scenes that play through your mind, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the moment he was born. I mean, you see life come into the world, uh, which is, you know, you go from him being an idea, right? And, you know, in in the womb, you don't know him yet, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially as a father. You don't have that real connection yet. Like the mother's growing uh, this baby and having this connection. And then I think when the baby is born, it's just like, all right, it's time to it's time to get to work. Um, But I, I just remember seeing him and it's almost like now it's like, what was life without him like? I mean, that's kind of the thought you have, like it would, it, it would be so different. It's so much better today. Uh, just having him around. And now that he's kind of toddlerish, he's running around, getting into trouble, doing his thing and just his laugh and his scream and his, all the, the, the loudness in the house is just, uh, that would be missing if he wasn't there. And so, yeah, all that just kind of plays a role. And when you have your first kid and, and Dakota has four, so he has that times four. Yeah, I do. Uh, in his house. So, <laughs> but yeah, just that moment is is amazing uh, to see God bring a life into the world and be and just the blessing that it is. And so, I'm excited for Caleb, and uh, I'm excited to to meet her one day. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think back to when my children were born, and there's a real sense within you that, oh man, everything in my life just got drastically turned upside down. I I remember when Selah came out of the womb and she was born, I initially caught her and then they put her on Shannon's chest. And then somehow, some way she reached out and she grabbed my pinky. I'll never forget that. And with Josiah, he was born in what's called in call. So he was actually still inside the amniotic uh, sac of fluid. So I saw him come out inside the fluid. Shannon's water never broke. And after like two seconds, it burst open and I witnessed his first, bre- first breath that just went, <gasps> and it just was a memory I'll never forget. 
Yeah. I remember when Hosanna was born. She was born in our bedroom in a blow-up pool. <laughs> and that was crazy because for some reason we thought it'd be a boy and she came out a girl. And we were all shocked and surprised. And then this last one, Obi, he was born in our living room, sorry, in our, our bedroom here in Kansas. And uh, I just, unfortunately, I remember more than anything else that being the toughest labor that Shannon had. He was our biggest baby. But these memories attached to each of them are just so precious because it's, you're right, you're witnessing new life for the first time, but you also think this new life will be connected with me forever. Like, it's like you immediately just start praying for them. You, One thing I've been doing with my kids is just when they're born, that very day I read scripture over them. And I'm just praying that God would use their life for something great. I don't know what. I just want them to be useful to his kingdom. Yeah, it's great to see. Recently, Conrad uh, is learning to pray. Yeah. So we say, let's pray. And he folds his hands. Uh-huh. And he, he, and then we pray and we say, amen. And then he goes, amen. You know, and he, he just, you know, just the, the practice of praying at, at a mealtime. We do it right before bed. And just, you know, even though he doesn't know exactly what's going on, but it's still, you know, cool to be practicing that. Uh, implementing even the smallest of things into his life uh, that God calls us to do, uh, even though his comprehension is not fully aware of who Jesus is, but he's going to understand why those things were in place and why we do them, even at a young age. And so it's just cool to see them learn and grasp it and and recognize he can say the word Bible. Uh, it's one of the one of his early words. Uh, he points to it too. Bible. Yep. He knows what it is. Uh, I, Amen. It's crazy, you know. You know, it's a book like any other book around the house, but when he points to the Bible, he says Bible. He doesn't say book or something else. So just those little things where you're just like, God's working and almost like, man, I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't sit there and teach him Bible and sit there with a book and make him point to it. You know, he just picked up on it with us having the Bible out, isn't it? Crazy? doing Bible studies, uh, just having it out in the house. He picked up on, on that word. And so that's a good word for him to pick up on because, <laughs> I mean, it could be worse. <laughs> well, and isn't it so cool? Because he sees a difference. That book's different than all those other books. One thing that I love doing with my kids, and I've just started to hit a healthy rhythm with it, every morning uh, they wake up for breakfast. And Well, I can't say every morning, but I'll just say about four mornings a week, somewhere around there. The, the kids know. They just expect it. Dad's going to read us the Bible for at least five minutes. Uh, you know, the mornings are fast and they happen kind of rapidly. And you're you're trying to get pour milk into cereal and clean up milk off the floor. And mm. kids who don't like a certain kind of yogurt or like literally like the color of their spoon or whatever it is. So it's a little chaotic. But in the midst of our morning, if I can take five minutes and open the Bible with him, reviewing what we spoke about the previous morning and what they're learning. Like right now we're in Exodus. So I ask them every day, name all the 10 plagues and they can do it now because I've done it so many times. Name the way that God was providing for them in the desert and they can do it. Uh, you know, name why why God was upset with Pharaoh and why Pharaoh hardened his heart. I mean, they could tell me all of that now. We're like in chapter 18 now in Exodus. So we I've gone through Luke with my kids I'm now halfway through Exodus with my kids. And it's just fun because it doesn't have to be complicated. The Bible's always on the counter. The Bible's always open. And 
it's it they just understand it's a natural rhythm of life oh dad's gonna pick up the bible read a passage ask one question review a little bit and he's done and I, I want them to grow up remembering dad always had scripture opened in the home. Scripture has always been spoken into the air. And I think that's what it's saying. And you and I have talked about this as parents. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, we are to bring the word of God in such a way where it's always on our forehead, always on our hand, always on our lips and raise our kids up in that way. So all that being said, congratulations to Caleb. But parenting is one of the most rewarding and uh trying things that we'll ever go through <laughs> yeah for sure i mean truly yeah when the when the good times are the good times are good and sometimes you know the bad times are like this is unbearable uh-huh. but it's all right and you got to persevere through those bad times yep yeah yep and or the scary times mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many things that can happen but again the lord is is watching over us uh, he has a plan we got to trust him even in those times of frustration or being scared or whatever that may be. Uh, and in the good times, remembering why they're good. That's it. Um, is, is really important. I don't, I don't mean to switch the topic too quickly because I know we need to jump into the scripture. And maybe you and Caleb spoke about it in one of the last two episodes, but I think it's appropriate to mention Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, that actually happened after, um, after we recorded. Right. Uh, even though we we did probably publish an episode last week, right. uh, we had recorded previously, so that hadn't happened yet. But uh, yeah, certainly, uh, what's going on in Afghanistan, regardless of your political uh, viewpoint, uh, there's people hurting um, by the hands of evil people, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we need to we need to pray for them. There's also Christians and pastors uh, who are leading people there um, this week, and we need to be praying for them. Because, you know, they're getting persecuted on the spot. And so there's a lot going on and we need to we need to be praying for them again. It is one of those moments where, you know, this isn't a surprise to God. Right. Um, he knew it was going to happen. Um, he's in control. His plan is still happening. Uh, but we still need to be praying for these people. Uh, we still need to do what we can to support them. And uh, it impacts people here in the United States. This isn't even if they're not Americans, it still impacts us here. So uh, we just need to have a heart for people Yeah. Uh, in this world today, regardless of Afghanistan, whatever, whatever situation going on around the world. Right. We just need to have a heart for people, love people. We're going to disagree. We're going to have different viewpoints, but we, we definitely want people to be safe um, and not be in a place of fear uh, and experience the freedom we have here that we've, that, you know, we're fighting for every day. Yeah. Uh, that we need to keep fighting for. Literally now, mm-hmm. fighting for it more than we ever have. Yeah, so so pray. Definitely definitely a situation that has been on my heart uh, since it's happened. So, yeah. You know, I as a believer just want to be pretty upfront and open and honest. Just my disappointment in our president. The idea that this has been a project that the U.S. has been involved in for two decades Men have lost their life, lost friends, lost limbs and loved ones. And to, I, I think, see the lack of responsibility to destroy our own weaponry, our own outposts, our own vehicles and equipment just for a terrorist organization to take those things. 
for there to be a, a known understanding of there being at least minimum 10,000 of our own U.S. citizens behind these lines and, and to so optimistically, and I'm being kind with that, to call out our troops doesn't make a lot of sense. None of it really feels like it was a common sense decision. I, I don't understand how anyone can defend the decision to withdraw in this type of fashion. And I think the difficulty, one, is I, I think due to the amount of lithium in Afghanistan and China's desire for that lithium, it, it almost just feels like either someone completely knew what they were doing or they're completely ignorant of how they were to accomplish this task. And I'm, I don't say this with hate in my heart. I, I say this with great concern for our world. I say this with still an understanding that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I understand the enemy forces that are really behind this. Ephesians chapter 6, the principalities of the air. I get it. I believe that. Kyle, it still just disappoints me that our own people could be subjected to such terrorism. And just to mention anything else, the women who will be abused and will uh, be enslaved by the Taliban. Just none of these things are right for me. They don't sit right in my heart. And as a believer, I'm praying that God would bring justice. And I know he ultimately will in Christ, and my hope is in him. Just because I speak about these things doesn't mean I've lost my hope or sight in Christ. That's not it. But because I'm still in the here and the now, I can't remove my emotions from the present just because of what I know will take place in the future. So it just breaks my heart. It's really disappointing. Yeah, it is. And, and on top of it, it's there's just the amount of lies mm -hmm. that you hear from our from the leaders of our country. Mm -hmm. um, and they're not even like, they're just blatant lies. Like we have evidence you're lying. Yeah. There's, we see the videos people are sending. Mm -hmm. uh, we see what's going on in our, in the world. It's hard to, it's hard to, you know, cover things up nowadays with the amount of technology and the amount of communication that can happen. Uh, you know, we can get instant videos from Afghanistan from people filming stuff that's going on. So just the blatant lies is disappointing because if you're going to lie about something like that, something so evil, you know, what else are you lying about? Mm -hmm. Oh, you know? plenty, plenty. Right. And so, I mean, we, we all know this, we know politicians lie, um, but this is life and death. It is. That's happening. Uh, this is real evil. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't, uh, uh, you know, this isn't some policy about, you know, uh, how our roads and for, you know, how to fix the roads in right. our country. This right. is people's lives. Yeah. On the know, line, on the line in yeah. the moment. Right. Like there needs to be swift action immediately. Right. And it's not happening. So that's all that's disappointing. And we used to have a way about us in America that we didn't put up with people like that. No, the leader we of were, the free world. We were not okay with people getting away with that, those sort of things. And then stepping back and saying, oh yeah, we'll see if the, the Taliban's legitimate or not. What do you mean legitimate? Right. There is no person that's ever stepped foot in Afghanistan, a yeah. military personnel that says the Taliban is legitimate. Mm -hmm. So. It's just the lies that's disappointing. Yeah. Uh, not that I expect more. I really don't at this point yeah. from our leaders in this nation. They're all selfish and mm -hmm. they pretty much do what they want for their own selfish gain. So mm -hmm. that's what we're seeing. We're seeing Americans fight back, share their voice. Yeah. A lot of people are being, you know, 
uh, quieted and not and not being heard or being told that you can't believe that anymore. That's the way of the past. We right. need to have this weird progressive way of thinking right. that just leads us to communism and socialism and yeah. China. I mean, it leads us to all that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's all disappointing, and and then you know I think we're all frustrated about it, but yeah. we we do have hope in Christ. Yes, we do know that this is coming. Yes, if and you, that's if, another part of it. It's like oh, the, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, supposed yeah. to go this way. I get it. Yeah. If you've read the end of the the Bible, right, the Book of Revelation, Jesus wins, but there's some yeah, pain well, before there, that. There's going to be a lot of things that happen mm-hmm. before that. So, you know, I, I want to touch on something because I think there's this idea that we as Christians should be completely passive and should not have open vocal conversations about these type of things. But the reason why that's problematic is because right now, America is the last standing nation on the face of the planet with a constitution that is rooted and tethered in biblical principles that came out of the Reformation. Every nation that adopted biblical principles coming out of the Reformation, it's called the Lex Rex tradition, which says law is king, which the law is based in biblical principles. Every nation that began their constitution off of that was a free nation. And every nation that let go of their biblically influenced constitution constitution of some sort, that nation has fallen. And one of my fears that I can see developing with the rise of globalism is that America is the last nation standing in the way of ultimate globalistic rule and the the last nation who's fully on Israel's side. And we know that the Bible says Israel must stand alone. So one reason why I as a Christian am so passionate in politics, not that I think politics is the ultimate answer, not by any means, but by preserving our constitutional freedoms that are influenced by scripture, I believe inevitably you are delaying the rise of globalism and the Antichrist. Now, is it all in my hands and all in my control? No, but my my purpose is I know this nation will flourish as long as, as we bless Israel because God says that. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. So why are Christians so passionate about politics? It's not because they're putting it before Jesus, but there there are real legitimate reasons for, oh, I don't know, not wanting the rise of despots and, and tyrannical rulers to to rule the globe. Mm-hmm. So it's concerning times, and I as a Christian have a right to be concerned. Yeah, My hope's not in politics, but it's, it's certainly a tool for me to preserve freedom and common sense. Yep. You no, know? it's it certainly is. And I think it's, a, it's one of those tough things as Christians, um, because, you know, our ultimate mission is to share the gospel. Yes. Um, and that's the priority. And that's the priority. Yes. Uh, but as a Christian already, it is also a priority to stand firm yeah. in the truth, which right. is scripture. Right. And so when these things start being thrown out, these ideas mm-hmm. that actually don't line up with truth. They're more Marxist in nature. Right. Yeah. Then we have a problem because you're telling me how to think mm-hmm. and then you're forcing me mm-hmm. to do things based on that philosophy. Right which I will not do right. because I don't believe in it. Right. It, it is not true. Right. It hurts people. And in all of human history, when these demonically based philosophies encounter culture, Christians always suffer 
every single time through human history. So that's another reason for us to be concerned. It is. You know? It is. So to do righteousness and to love mercy, you know, that's... I, I actually believe that we as Christians need to have a healthy voice, not a hateful voice, but a healthy voice, and to be involved. Yeah. On that note... Yeah, on that note... We're, we're jumping in, into Scripture. Yeah, we're in Mark chapter 9. <laughs> Verses. We pray that you, these are real conversations that you and I have, so we just laid it out before you. Yeah, and I think we're going to go into Mark chapter 9, and, and we're going to see, I don't know, a good reminder of uh, times where, you know, you may fall into some unbelief as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we see that throughout, we see that theme throughout the book of Mark, mm-hmm. where the disciples struggle at times, mm-hmm. even physically being with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and we as Christians today, as Jesus physically here, is his body here? No, uh, the Holy Spirit is within us. He does still live today. He will return. Right. But we need to be reminded of the power of Jesus Christ. Yes. And Jesus now, as we're in chapter nine, and we're getting closer to to the moment where he's going to be in Jerusalem. Yes, we're coming upon those passages. Jesus is being. You can you can kind of hear in his tone as we as we start to go through this. He's getting real serious with his disciples mm-hmm. uh, because the the purpose of why he came to earth uh, is about to unfold and uh, we're, we're getting there. And so you're gonna, we're going to read a little bit more. We've just come off uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John were up there with Jesus um, and experienced something that was supernatural um, in nature. It wasn't something that they would experience on a regular day um, where, <laughs> where they had a, a couple guests uh, with Jesus yeah. uh, talking and yep. who were already uh, have departed in, from this earth. Heaven, yeah. Yeah. Moses uh, and Elijah. Yeah. And so the law and the prophets. Right. What Jesus stood in between as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Correct. So, so we just came off of that. So we have three disciples with Jesus. They're coming back. They're approaching the disciples and that's where we're at. So Dakota, yeah. if you want to start in chapter nine, verse 14. Right. And we will talk about the this next section. Well, and more than likely, the passage we're going to be studying here is just 14 to 29 in this episode. So yeah. I'm just going to read it all in one portion, and then we can take it at bite-sized portions from there. Verse 14, when they came back to the disciples, again, they've come off the Mount of Transfiguration. When they, this should be Peter, James, John, and Jesus, when they came back to the disciples or maybe the rest of the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit who makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and teeth and, and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, evil, excuse me, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. 
But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead! But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So 14 to 29... How are we going to break it up? <laughs> well, let's <laughs> let's let's kind of jump in, you know, 14 uh really through 18. Okay. It's it's kind of setting the scene, right? Yeah. Um so right here at the beginning of 14 it says they came to the disciples. We're coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. So we've got Peter, James, John, and Jesus coming back to the disciples most likely here. Right. So there are some of the disciples are with the scribes and they're arguing Right. Because of a situation that is occurring. And that situation is that this man has brought his child to get this demon cast out and it and the disciples couldn't do it. Right. I mean, that's the, what Jesus is walking into. And he says, what are you arguing about? Uh-huh. And so the man tells him what's going on with his son. And uh, and that's kind of where the conversation and the teaching starts taking place with mm-hmm. Jesus. There's a teaching, I think, on multiple levels here. Um, one, we've got the scribes here, mm-hmm. we've got the father, mm-hmm. and then we've got the disciples. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple levels of people mm-hmm. that you could say Jesus is about to teach to in this current situation. Right. So that kind of sets the scene of what's going on uh, as we get into Jesus' teaching and then casting out the demon. And he's returning from a place of teaching mm-hmm. with the disciples trifecta along with Elijah and Moses and and Jesus essentially claiming, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And there's this foreshadowing and and precursor to, you know, you remember Moses' excuse me, you remember Moses' face shining so bright because, you know, he he spoke with God as a man does face to face in Exodus. And now you're seeing that all of Jesus is like this because the glory that shone into Moses' face, now this is Jesus, he is the one who is full of that glory. This is the way in which Jesus will return full of glory. So then they return down the mountain, having taught them this. It's interesting that it's the disciples who were not with them, excuse me, not with him on the mountain, who are arguing. But it's also interesting to me that the disciples were wanting to build tabernacles, you know, to Moses and Elijah on the mountain with Jesus too. So yeah. you're you're almost seeing this repetition of just because it's a different group of disciples doesn't mean they all don't lack understanding in some way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, we still have to remember these disciples are young guys, uh, most of them. I mean, they're just still learning. I mean, we I think yes. we have these great expectations at times of the disciples because they're with Jesus, but man... They're still just learning. Yeah, they've seen amazing things happen, miracles. They're seeing Jesus work. It's still really new. Mm-hmm. They they haven't been with Jesus forever. Mm-hmm. It's a very small portion of their life. 
Um, so they're still learning. I mean, imagine today we have information at our fingertips. Right. But back then they just, you know, these were fishermen. These were, you could say, simple people. They did what they needed to do to survive, to make a living. And, and that was it. I mean, most of them. Um, they all had came from different, even though they were Jewish, <laughs> they came from kind of different backgrounds of, of different family types, you know, with Matthew being very different than the rest. And, and, you know, it was just, they were simple people. And this was probably hard to grasp and understand. I mean, we have a hard time grasping and understanding Jesus to the point where we've got to go back to original language. We've got to do word studies. We've got to do all this stuff just to understand who Jesus is and what he's saying. So imagine there there's so much going on here and they're just they're not picking up everything and i i don't blame them to be honest i would probably i would probably be worse <laughs> for all sure. i know sure so yeah they're arguing with the scribes and they weren't able to cast out this demon uh from this boy and jesus here says in verse 19 oh faithless generation how long am i to be with you how long am i to bear with you bring him to me so we have him, you know, you know, kind of, you could see the, on his tone a little bit. I could see Jesus being a little upset. This is not the first time. No, it's not. He's it, responded yeah. this way. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Oh, faithless generation. Who's he talking to? Well, I think he's talking to all three of the groups I just talked about. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's just talking to a generation of of the day, but he's talking to all about all of them um, and including the disciples who are following him. I actually have a note here, and uh, I'm reading from the New American Commentary on the book of Mark. It says, the word generation is applied to unbelievers who oppose Jesus back in chapter 8. But here it probably refers to the disciples. Jesus soon would be gone, and then his disciples would take his place and do what he had been doing. This they had failed to do during a temporary absence. Having previously been able to exercise demons in chapter 6, the disciples assumed they could do whenever do so whenever they wished. They failed, however, because of their lack of faith. Spiritual power is not something which one possessed. Excuse me. Spiritual power is not something which once possessed will always be available. It must be maintained and renewed. Disciples then and now must constantly learn and relearn this lesson. And that co- kind of goes along the lines of what you're saying is, Kyle, how how many times have you and I seen the Holy Spirit work in us and through us and we're able to use our gifts and, you know, just crazy things that have happened to both of us on the mission field. We've seen God do awesome things in our life. One thing that I'm starting to learn is right when I think that I have gotten it, right? When I think I have arrived and somehow, some way, oh man, I've got this life down as a disciple because of maybe a recent victory. That's actually the time where I really need to start seeking God again, because I know that without dependence upon him, uh, I won't have access to that power. It's just like he said in John 15, abide in me and you will, will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. And I that's mean, so hard. I mean, as a disciple, they have been casting out demons. Yeah, it's something they've done. Yeah, so they're probably like, what is going on here? <laughs> that when the 70 were sent out, yeah. they came back, whoa, can't believe what we did. Yeah, I mean, there's times where, you know, we've been on mission trips and we've done, we've seen great things. We've seen people come to know the Lord. We know the work that God can do. And then there's times where it's like, why isn't this happening? Mm-hmm. What's going on? And you kind of get frustrated and you're, you kind of go, God, what, what are you doing? 
like as if you know better a little bit and and you could be doing this god in this moment you could be doing this well apparently god doesn't want to do that in that moment you know and it's uh you know so you just you go through these waves at times where you think you figured it out like you said and then all of a sudden it's just not the same anymore and you're like well, well why why what's going on in my life maybe i need to reevaluate and that's where I think the disciples are kind of at, and Jesus is pointing to. Uh, maybe you guys need to reevaluate your heart and where you're at. You think this is just going to happen because you've done it before, but who are you trusting in to do it? Mm-hmm. Yourself, because you figured it out, because you kind of like got it, in air quotes, right? But you don't have it mm-hmm. because the only power that can do this work is God. Right. And that's the interesting thing. How often do we move from a place of dependence? Like we were desperate and dependent before, and it's in that desperate and dependent context that God ends up using us. Mm-hmm. And then we think, oh, well, I can do that again. I don't know. When you're desperate and dependent, you're more full of faith. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there, you know, I think if we went on a similar mission trips, like we've been on before, <laughs> I think there's a part of us that would be like, we got this. Like if you and I went back to Austria. Yeah. Like we've oh, been we've there. Been here before. Yeah. We've done been it in that neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there would be a little bit of confidence that may be a little dangerous <laughs> uh, just because you've been there. You've done that. Well, it's not the same. You still have to have the same dependence on God in that situation, even if it's something that's familiar. Um, because when you lose it, things that things that were exciting once are no longer exciting. It loses its, it loses its, I don't know, the, your, your faith is almost lacking in that area because you think you got it. So I can definitely see that in my life at times where it's like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I need to reevaluate. There's some areas where it's great. There's some areas where it's not. And maybe those are the areas I'm not being faithful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that's interesting here is you go from the, the lack of faith from the disciples And apparently, if we keep reading, I want to make a point here, something that I was just reading a moment ago. If you look in verse 20, Jesus said in verse 19, bring him to me. Verse 20, they brought the boy to him. When he saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. It almost appears that now the shift goes from the lack of faith in the disciples to a lack of faith from the father's perspective. So there's this continued theme here. And the father seems to be shaken up from his faith. First of all, it would have been a surprise to everyone that Jesus just came down this mountain. They were probably just literally shocked by his physical appearance. But it almost seems to show us that this father really wrestled. Well, if Jesus' own disciples couldn't cast out this demon, then I'm in trouble. Like, well, Jesus, if you can, what do you mean if, if I can? You know, the assumption is my disciples they're not operating in faith right now. What do you mean if I can? Of course I can. So it's just a continued shift, but the same theme. Right. What It shifts to the unbelief of the father, 
But if you're the disciple right now and you're hearing this, you're like, oh, dang it. And <laughs> I know, know I, mean? I know Jesus. Oh, man. Yeah, because I mean, Jesus is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. And it's going to be up to you. That's it. You're right on target. It's going to be up to you, disciples. And in this moment, you do not have faith in who gives you the power to cast out these demons. You thought you could just do it. So, yeah, well, I'm right. not sure if the disciples picked up on that super fast, but uh, from what we're currently reading, but I mean, yeah, it, 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 it goes to the, to the father, but it's this still this foreshadowing or just letting the disciples know you've got to be on point when I'm gone. You've got to really pay attention. Something I'm catching right now. Verse 19. How long shall I be with you? Question. How long shall I put up with you? Question. Bring him to me! Exclamation point. If this story had been placed early on in Mark's gospel, I think you would have room to ask, well, why is Jesus being so impatient? But we're in Mark chapter 9, and by the time we get to Mark chapter 11, that's Jesus' triumphant entry. Chapter 11 to chapter 16 is the final week of Jesus' life before crucifixion. We know that Jesus resurrects from the dead, stays on the earth for another 40 days after that, then he ascends up to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. Got it, got it, got it. But nevertheless, even if you just add the 40 days and then Pentecost and then the three days before resurrection, you're getting to this place where before Jesus ascends back to the Father, you've got how much time? I mean, you've maybe got two months. Yeah. So Jesus is in this place where it's towards the the end of his three and a half year ministry. So that just brings so much more weight to this scene. Guys, I've been with you for three and a half years. I'm about ready to leave. <laughs> You've got to have faith before my return. So. Yeah. And so as he continues here, he he calls out the, the unclean spirit. Um, he says here, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So the spirit comes out. The boy is actually, uh, looks like he's dead now. It says it looks like a corpse. What, a li- are we in again? Lifeless. Uh, we are in now 26. Okay, got it, got it. Got um, it. So after the convulsing, after it came out, the boy was like a corpse. Uh, so... The most, um, so that most of them said he's dead. So they think he's dead now. So the demon's out, but now everyone's like, well, now he's just laying there. He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Because uh, Jesus is what breathes life uh, into people. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. So now they, they've moved away from the crowd. They're now in a house of some kind, of somebody's house. Um, said, why could we not cast out? So now they're asking this question that we've kind of, it's been hanging there, but we've been talking about this, uh, about this lack of faith. And they asked the question, well, why couldn't we do it? We don't, they don't really understand because they've been able to do it before. So Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Mm-hmm. What is what is Jesus referring to? He says, this kind cannot be drawn out by anything but prayer. 
Yeah, I, I'm kind of reading and contemplate, <clears throat> contemplating here. Before I get to that, it something I'm I'm just picking up as I'm studying is that the verbs used in the original language that dealt with the raising of this boy are the common verbs used for resurrection accounts elsewhere in the Gospels and highly resemble the account of Jairus's daughter from chapter 5. So the exorcism, it says, constitutes a preview of Jesus's own death and resurrection and the resurrection of believers. Before his own resurrection, he's showing that he has the power to resurrect from the dead. So it seems to indicate this boy actually, actually died. Actually died, possibly. And then something else in verse 28. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. So, you know, Jesus does this before the crowds can get there. That's common in Mark. But something I just found out, this is the second of four times where Mark indicated that Jesus withdrew to a house privately in order to instruct the disciples. <laughs> the second out of fourth time. So this is something that Jesus makes a habit of. Guys, we need to have a timeout. Let's go meet in the house here and talk. Can you imagine <laughs> getting like rebuked by Jesus? Like the 12 of you, you know better. <laughs> Yeah. So oh, the interesting, man. the other interesting part is we know that Jesus has given the disciples the authority to cast out demons. Mark chapter three, verses 14 to 15. So we know, we know that they can do it. Jesus has given them the authority to do it, mm -hmm. but something is lacking. Mm -hmm. The authority is not lacking. Mm -hmm. It's been given to them. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been taken away, but something is now lacking in their life that now the result of that is they weren't able to do this in this moment. Well, verse 29, it says, this cannot come out by anything but prayer. Mm -hmm. So some manuscripts say prayer and fasting, uh -huh. which that's fine. But the assumption is if you've got a healthy prayer life, then there's room for fasting. You know, I think sometimes we read this and we think, only this strong of a demon, you know, can come out by prayer and fasting. But I almost just wonder, like, if Jesus is saying, look, you just, you can't do this with, without prayer regardless. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's all he's saying as well. You know, it's not about. I mean, he, he we, does say, sorry, he does say this, this kind, kind, but I mean can come out nothing but prayer. So this demon, I don't know if there's, you know, he's talking about levels of demons or strong demons or weak demons sure, or whatever, but I don't think that's the point, whether there's, but I don't, but I, what he's doing here is he's saying without prayer. Now the disciples in this moment, which there could, there's more conversation, but in this moment are like, well, we pray. And Jesus is probably calling them out and saying, but really are, are you praying? Are you drawing closer to me in this moment? Mm -hmm. um, is your prayer life strong? I mean, he's, he's questioning where they're at spiritually. Are you drawing closer to the heart of God? Mm -hmm. And if they're not, and clearly they're they're not in that place at this moment, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to do this. Now, I it doesn't mean if I pray a lot and I fast a lot that I'm going to be able to cast out demons. 
Uh, but they have been given the authority to cast out demons, and there's something lacking, and it's their relationship with God. Mm-hmm. They're they're struggling at the moment, and that's why they couldn't do it uh, because they had they had really a lack of prayer life, and they weren't drawing from the power of God because God's the only one who can do it, and we have to be dependent on God for our spiritual problems. Uh, it's not something we can fix. If the theme up until this point has really been less about the demon, but more about a lack of faith. What is one of the number one ways where we draw closer in faith? It's through prayer. So the fact that the two are really on the same playing field, it's almost like your life is completely out of place to have the power of Jesus in your ministry if prayer is not a priority. And I'll just be honest, one of the things that I've been sharing with the congregation is just this unreal level of spiritual attack I've felt the last couple weeks. And it's not that I didn't have a prayer life before, but I'll tell you what, the last couple weeks have revved up my prayer life like I haven't had in a while. I mean, I'm prioritizing prayer over almost anything else, and I'm just in this season where God's doing something, and I'm like, okay, and I'm not claiming to be like some guru and all this. I, I, I don't really care to compare myself to others, but my prayer life is increasing. And while things are difficult, I'm also in some way, shape or form, just feeling like I'm being drawn closer to the father. The enemy wants to tell me that God's not close, but all that's happening is I'm actually drawn closer to God, which is kind of a good feeling. So if there's something that we can take away from this, it's there's a theme of lack of faith and this passage seems to end with the indication that you can access the power of faith by prayer. Although it's in the context of demons, it's still attached to a bunch of examples of a lack of faith. So Jesus is calling you to access faith through prayer. Yeah. And one, one quick point that we, we didn't really point out. Jesus did just take three of his disciples up on a mountain and left the other ones behind. Mm -hmm. What were the other ones doing during that time? Mm -hmm. We don't know. I mean, it's not here. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the evidence that we've seen, it doesn't sound like they were on their knees praying during that time. It doesn't sound like they were focused on what God wanted them to do in in that time. Because when Jesus returned, they were in a dispute with some scribes, and they weren't able to cast out a demon. So something was happening in their hearts during that time. And I'm not going to pretend like I know what was going on, but I know the evidence that's given to me in scripture. So yeah, they were at some point, they either got selfish or lack of faith. Um, and it resulted in that way. And Jesus corrected them. And I think we all need that at times. We all fall into that at times. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus, but we do know that the remedy to uh, having a lack of faith is praying and trusting in God and getting closer to God Uh, to remedy that maybe slump that you're in or a place in life where you just don't think things are going well. So uh, I encourage you, our listeners, uh, as we wrap up here, um, that you continue to pray for one um, and that you continue to disciple one-on-one with others. If there's one last thing that I would say just to add to this passage, the tension that you feel from Jesus to the disciples should be a healthy tension to receive in your life. 
if you insert yourself in the place of the disciples and you're like, oh man, I'm kind of convicted by that. That's what the word of God is supposed to do. It's living and it's active. So if you're listening, we pray that you benefited from this episode and that you use this to transparently disciple others and to even just share your own failures and faults and how much you desperately need to walk in faith with Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening uh, to the Be Disciples podcast. Please, whatever platform that you're listening to us on, um, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever that may be, leave us a review. Um, Honestly, the more reviews that we have, it means more people will get to see it because they'll put those ones with the best reviews and the most reviews up towards the top when they search for Disciple Podcasts or whatever that may be. So uh, please rate us online on any platform that you're using. And uh, just thank you for listening. That's how you can support us. Pray, listen, do a review. Uh, That's all we ask for. We do this because we just love the Word of God and we love Jesus and we want to talk about it. So thank you all uh, and God bless.